This is the show with Cannon Brown. I can't quit the goat deal because I enjoy the competitiveness of it. I enjoy being around those those kids and those families that work at it and trying to help them achieve their goals. That last few minutes might have been a little confusing. You'd like to know who I was talking to, wouldn't you? Well, howdy there, folks. My name is Cannon Brown, and you are listening to the second episode of the show with Cannon Brown. It is July 18th. It's a Thursday, and it's a good Thursday, guys. I hope you're having an incredible time, whatever you're doing, working, driving, walking around, working out. I don't care where you're listening and what you're doing. I just hope you're having a good time doing it because I'm having a great time right now, and I just want you to be having a great time as well. All right, let's enough of my jibber-jabber. My guest today is Mr. Alan Poe. Uh, Alan uh, comes to us from Oklahoma. He is a Okie born and bred. Um, and just an incredible guy, very unique story. He was an ag teacher, um, but he didn't start off in ag when he was uh, in college. He actually wanted to go into the nursing program. Um, just his whole story about where he is today is very, very unique. And and I think we get people into sectors. You're a goat guy, you're a pig guy, cattle guy, whatever. And I, I wanted to lop this this individual into the goats. I wanted to say that Alan Poe, he was a goat guy. Um, and that's kind of what drove me to get him on here as a guest. But the more we started talking, the more I realized he's not just a goat guy. He's he's kind of all-around industry guy, and he, en- he enjoys it all, and he gets stuff from everything. So... He's not just a goat guy. He's actually a cattle guy. He loves the pigs, uh, and he just he kind of helps out a lot of families with goats, and that's how he kind of gets lumped in with them. But we were at a uh, Next Level Livestock camp in Ontario, Oregon. I'm going to say that again in like five minutes when the interview starts, but I just wanted to let you guys know. I sound a little sick, all right? I'm sorry. I really apologize. This was one of the only times that I was going to get Alan uh, by himself. We were in person, so the audio sounds pretty decent. Um, so I'm sorry if I sound sick or, uh, or a little tired. We had a long weekend, but I think I, uh, I think I upped the intensity uh, at the end there. I don't know if I did. You guys be the judge of it. But I think we have an incredible interview, and uh, that's enough of me talking. All right, guys. Uh, by the way, make sure to subscribe um, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, whatever. Like and share uh, on Facebook. Follow me on Instagram, the show pod. On Facebook, the show with Cannon Brown. Um, yeah, that's that's okay. I'm done plugging my stuff. That's it. All right, guys. Without further ado, let's do it, Mr. Allen Poe. You're safer here than any place else. Now just lock yourself in and keep quiet. Uh, we're in Ontario, Oregon, for a Next Level Livestock Camp. I am uh, one of the counselors for the pig section, and then he's an adult counselor. He's pretty much running uh, the goat side of things. Um, so let's talk about that. We can talk about next level just a little bit. Um, they kind of just adopted the goat side uh, of next level. Tell me about that process because I know uh, Jeff Maynard, the CEO, he's been doing hogs for about five years. Uh, when did he kind of reach out to you to expand this? <clears throat> oh, he, he reached out to me before they'd ever had a camp. And uh, I, I really, to be honest with you, didn't know what next level was i had seen advertisements and seen their logo and recognized that end of it but uh i actually believe he had contacted a friend of mine tommy milligan and said hey this is you know i'm wanting to expand it and do a do the goats and uh i need some good people that you know 
were would work with these young people and whatnot and tommy recommended me and so i talked to him a couple times before i committed to it. it i've had the opportunity to do some clinics and various stuff but every time i've run into that it's kind of been a you know i'd have to be part of organizing it and managing it and all that and i kind of told jeff up front that hey i'm interested in doing it i think it sounds like fun but i've got a lot of uh other hats to wear right now if i can show up and you know help the kids and teach them what i know i'm i'm good with doing it but i don't want to do the other legwork part of it it just probably wouldn't happen like it needs to and so that's kind of what he said hey that's great that's what i need i've got the other end of it and so anyway we agreed to do one and see how it goes and and you know now we're in our third state yeah you know going after it. Yep, and I know that you've been pretty uh, instrumental in getting them together and just making sure they're on track. I know you're not doing the heavy lifting, but some would say the heavy lifting is actually teaching and uh, teaching parents and kids. Um, And I kind of wanted to, now that you're doing it, uh, what's kind of your experience been through it? How have you been interacting with the kids and parents through these camps? Do you like it or is it kind of something new to you? Oh, it's, I think I just enjoy learning about different areas and the aspects of, you know, what the industry is like in the other states and kind of what stage they're in and the growth has taken place. I mean, I've had the opportunity to sell goats, you know, in a lot of different areas of the United States. And so I get a little bit of feedback of what it takes, but it's uh, it's eye-opening to go to those regions and see some of them, you know, some of the stock is better than what, you know, I would expect going to those areas. And then other times I see things that's like, man, there's a lot of room for improvement in a, in specific areas. So. Yeah. Yeah, I, I assume that this uh, kind of realm, like teaching, uh, wouldn't be very different to you. I mean, you've uh, you've been an ag teacher and um, you help out many families uh, in Oklahoma and across the South. And yeah. um, I'm sure that it's kind of been an easy shoe to fill that right. place. Oh, the, you know, livestock, the showing is probably kind of like ag in general um, in the terms of I don't know any of us that do it because we want to get rich doing it. We usually kind of fall into it and uh, fall in love with it. and Or I like to refer to it as it's an addiction that I can't quite kick. You know, a lot of times I we do some other things and have some businesses. And so I, a lot of times get people that are like, hey, what uh, – why do you keep doing that deal? You know, why do you keep doing it? Well, it's just, uh, I don't know. I enjoy doing it. I, I like working with them young people. I think the livestock showing is truly one of those avenues that, uh, we can affect young people's lives and, uh, you know, for the positive. Yeah. And, and kind of what, from my, from what I've learned from the people that know you that I've talked to is that you, you're a lot in the background on these families that you're helping. You're, you're a lot, just you're in the back scenes, fitting the goats, getting them ready. and But you do still raise some, some boar goats of your own. Well, not boar goats, but weathers, weather-bred weathers, goats. Weather. Uh, yes, we do. And Oh, I mean, yeah, I'm helping some of these families, but I'm pretty fortunate that a lot of the families I help are really good livestock people that are good people. And really, it's kind of it's changed a little bit, you know, because I've got to be good friends with most of them and with their whole family and whatnot. And so, you know, it transitions from just buying a few goats for people to, you know, looking forward to going to shows and hanging out with them and, you know, having, having those individuals that are older as role models for my boys coming up into the industry also. Yeah. It's a, it's a pretty quick transition that that happens in though. Yeah. Yeah, you kind of just fall in love with it, and then that one thing after another, you're in it right. deeper than you could have expected. Yeah. No, I never thought uh, 
<clears throat> when I started teaching ag that I would get into the goats. And I mean, I, I actually enjoy multi-species, but the goats we, you know, have had some success in and, and figured a few things out, I guess. And so it's kind of, we've gravitated more towards that a little yeah. bit. So. Well, let's talk about uh, kind of your background because you never thought you'd be into goats. Yeah. Um, growing up, what did you raise? What did your family raise? Um, I grew up in a very traditional family. Um, you know, my mom and dad both had uh, jobs and worked hard, and we as a family had, you know, everything we needed to survive, but we didn't really have any extra to buy a bunch of fancy show animals and that. And uh, I was involved in agriculture because my grandpa farmed and I was around that a little bit, but we weren't in production ag per se in my direct family. And my dad was a feed dealer a lot of the time I was growing up. Uh, my mom was a business manager for a local business for, you know, for a long time while I was growing up. And so I don't know, I, I probably got started through 4-H and FFA that, uh, you know, my parents wanted us to be involved in and so uh usually how i ended up with a project was my dad through the free feed dealing business had a customer with some animals you know whether yeah, that be yeah. hogs or or a heifer or this or that i uh, showed a few sheep when i was a kid i showed a few hogs showed some cattle of course goats weren't being shown at the time and uh was not highly competitive at it our animals you know in hindsight probably looked respectable but we're probably just kind of good general livestock that were, you know, probably over conditioned and not highly presented. We just didn't, yeah. you know, understand those aspects of what the need for that. And that's probably one thing that has, has drove, driven me a lot in terms of helping kids get to the next level and making sure the animals are presentable because I think there's a lot of people that, that they just don't know, you know, if nobody helps and guides them, there's, it's pretty difficult to get to that, uh, you know, to the, backdrop or even close in a premium sale or even you know move up from the SIF line into placing animals and things like that exactly now do you think that that has kind of changed in the past like 25 to 30 years the competition in the livestock industry because it seems like 30 years ago people were doing it and they were just doing it for fun I mean they'd get a hog off the farm down the street and they'd go to the county fair and and they do it and now it's kind of put to another level to where people are spending thousands of money on uh, livestock or tens of thousands of money on yeah. uh, dollars oh, on livestock. Oh, it, it's definitely changed. And, I, and it's kind of interesting because I run, I mean, outside of the circles of the show world a lot. And so I see people that have an outside view of it that are, you know, pretty upfront about it. And then the others that are inside. So I get to hear those differing aspects. And so many people from look at it from the outside and think, well, it's unrealistic to where our commercial industry is. Um, and, it, and it's hard to hard to argue with that. It is unrealistic in, in a lot of ways. But I guess my argument to that is I think the reason it's got that way is uh, I think people have started to realize that the, the livestock showing is no more than an avenue to raise good kids. And so if you try to put a value on that, well, what is the value? You know, and, and so I think that's why people have gotten willing to spend you know, more money and things like that to become competitive. Now there's always a balance in there of, well, how, how, what do our kids learn from that and spending extra money and this and that? How do we make them competitive without it? And I think that's probably a struggle 
that you know all families deal with and where's the balance in there and so and i and i don't have a good answer to that but i i see that and i see the transition the industry is taking and you know some of it's probably not a great thing but i also get it and not gonna downgrade it for that so. yeah it's in, and that probably goes in line you're talking about like the correlation between uh the production side and the livestock side and i guess that's kind of been the main change over the years if if we really think about it it's they used to just show commercial animals in a livestock show, yeah. and now they're two different kinds of animals, especially yeah. um, on the hog side. The the cattle side that had some checks and balances, but right. the hog side, it's it, those are two completely different industries. I think when I started teaching ag, I was really young and naive and, and wanted to learn, and so I was fortunate to have some guys around me that allowed me getting a pickup and go buy hogs or go buy goats with them or or traveled a lot of miles buying sheep and I, what i found is a lot of those guys would tell stories about you know when they become s- successful with helping like animals kids with animals and things that it was all about just taking care of them you know it's it's from the talking to those guys it sounds to me like in the late 80s and the 90s you know, there were some of them started feeding hogs on wood chips and started brushing and conditioning hair, and it, it just totally changed. You know, they become so competitive doing that, and also it's no different than the sheep deal. You know, those guys, they started treadmilling sheep and, you know, and, and really managing the health on those animals a little bit better, and it could be quite competitive. So I think that's really when the transition changed, when people realized that, hey, you know, it's not just about finding a good animal, it's about presentation and the care to make them maintaining yeah like a show animal yeah because that i mean that's what really the kids are getting out of it is is taking care of this live animal keeping it alive raising it up to a a considerable weight and then uh, eventually selling it so yeah that does make sense that people were like all right we understand that we need to show some livestock because this is what people what consumers eat Mm -hmm. but this is also has another side to it um but let's uh so you're involved in 4-H and FFA. Yeah. Are you involved in uh, like livestock judging at all? Oh, a little bit. I mean, when I was in uh, junior high, I did quite a bit of livestock judging. And then into high school, I did a little bit of livestock judging. Uh, you know, the school I went to school at, it wasn't that that was a huge part. I mean, it was a small school, and so everybody did everything to a certain aspect and so I did a lot of that but then when I got older you know I started playing more sports and that was kind of the focus and and basically quit judging livestock I didn't show livestock you know my oh probably junior senior year I still was involved in FFA still did some of the speaking stuff and this and that but really wasn't a prominent thing you know in my life and really uh kind of lost touch with all of it for several years through that aspect and uh until I uh, decided to change my major and go back to ag ed because that's kind of where my passion had been at one time and uh, had had people tell, oh, you don't you don't want to teach ag, you know that's a you don't you don't make any money. It takes all these hours. You got to deal with parents and all that. And I would probably listened to that at a young age for a long time, and then finally just said, no, nah, I think that's what I want to do. And, yeah, and, and did it. So yeah. I feel like that's kind of what um, everyone that goes into ag is. <laughs> that's yeah. their mindset, like. Yeah, we've been told not to do do this thing hundreds of times. It's not going to change my mind. I'm going right. to do it anyway. Yeah. But I wanted to backtrack just a little bit. You said that you were involved in sports in high school and also yeah. like uh, showing in livestock. What kind of sports did you play? Oh, I mean, I came from a small school, so we pretty well did them all. I mean, I played football, basketball, and baseball. Even ran a little bit of track. So 
I feel like um, this is happening now uh, a lot, and it, I'm sure it happened uh, kind of when you were showing and coming up through those programs, but kids are left with the decision nowadays because they have to pick one or the other. I know I was left with the decision when I was playing sports, either judging or baseball. Mm. I chose judging because I didn't think I was going to get a full ride scholarship on baseball. I was, I just wasn't that good. Yeah. Um, but did that, did you have to make that decision or was that a hard decision for you? Yeah, to make? I don't know when I was there, if I really had a decision to make or it just kind of naturally happened, but I do see that now that, I mean, kids are basically forced to choose. And to be honest with you, that I, I don't like that aspect of, of that because I think an individual that is able to do those various things makes a well-rounded individual that, uh, you know, doesn't have, per se, all their eggs in one basket. I mean, if, if they lose a basketball game, it's not the end of the world. They, you know, have a stock show the next morning or, you know, whatever that might be. They might have some other kind of, uh, you know, robotics contest or they might be part of a, you know, a singing group or whatever. I think it's important that kids and students, young people, are diverse in their interests and get to have ability to do all those things. I don't really like that we're trying to tell kids that you have to be so focused on one thing and be extremely competitive that, and that's all that we can do. Exactly. That's, I mean, and that's my own personal preference. I mean, I'm sure there's others that, you know, say, well, you know, then we're just te teaching meteorocracy and all of it. We need to specialize and get them more competitive. And I, and I get that aspect too, but I, I would hope they could at least be involved in two or three things, maybe be competitive. Well, yeah, you, I mean, you have two boys and I, I met them for the first time last night and they play sports. They play soccer and baseball. Yeah. Is that what it was? Yeah. So I, I would assume that you would have that kind of mindset to where, yeah, they're show they're showing cattle, hogs, goats, and then they're playing soccer and baseball on the side. So yeah. I figured you would have that mindset, but there's, I mean, there's a lot of people that think, oh, we can, we have to do one and we have to do it. Right. And, and I right, respect but. that. They want to be competitive at it. It's just, I don't know, I, that's probably not the direction I want to go. It may turn out that way. Who knows? I agree with you, though. I think that um, it's not all about trying to get settled on one thing. It's about, it's and maybe it's not uh, being professional at one thing, the camaraderie about it. I yep. mean, being on a team, it, it teaches you a lot uh, socially. And, and just like uh, on in a job or anything mm -hmm. like that, so there's a lot that goes into it. You can't. I'm with you. I don't like just being involved in just one right. single thing. So, um, but your boys are awesome, and I think yeah. they would kick butt at just going through school playing soccer, baseball, oh, yeah, and showing. <laughs> and I think. And I've kind of always approached the showing deal with them as, uh, you know, hey, if you guys want to do it, you know, let's let's do it and try to be competitive doing it. And if you if you don't, let's find what you do. I mean. I'm not going to let them not be involved in anything, but hopefully they'll want to be involved in some things that'll help them help them grow and meet people and learn about the world. I guess. Exactly, I think they should. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about your college, your collegiate okay. career, because I tried to get a little um, background, but you said it was a crazy story, so I'm just going to let well, you tell. Well, it's just uh, unorthodox, I guess, but to be to get involved the way I did is, I mean, like I said, I was in in high school and I kind of got. I don't know where I wasn't super involved in FFA and showing and judging and things like that. And so I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And uh, <laughs> somehow I actually landed on that I wanted to be a Metaflight paramedic. And so basically the avenue I took for that was I wanted to get an RN degree. And so uh, anyway, there's a small school there near my hometown, uh, Northwestern Oklahoma State. And so I said, hey, they've got a good nursing program. 
and that, that I'm going to go there. And so I went there, and then what's funny is I end up working. They have a small college farm, raise some pigs and some cattle and stuff. And so I ended up getting a job there kind of as a work-study program through the college. And uh, anyway, it had a great experience, I mean, and kind of what almost. Were you, what were you doing there? Oh, I mean, just everything from, I mean, uh, breeding gilts and farrowing pigs to, uh, you know, synchronizing cattle for an AI program and farming and running a tractor, just a, a regular you kind of You liked school deal. when you were doing that. Yeah, and so <laughs> that kind of probably rejuvenated my interest in the ag world and in the, you know, at that time they didn't have an ag ed program. They do now at that school, but uh, anyway, it, it's still, they had ag, just not ag ed. And yeah. so anyway, that probably rejuvenated part of that and had that in the back of my mind. But at some point there, I'd been there a year and decided that... Uh, I really don't remember why or anything else, but I decided I wanted to go to OU, the University of Oklahoma. Both of my parents are O State grads, so that was kind of yeah. an interesting choice. I but I didn't like it. But they had an RN program, and so that's what I decided. I went there for two years and basically kind of came, well, for a year and a half, and I uh, uh, basically went to the stage where, hey, I have to select if I'm going to go on to the health science campus yeah. or do something different. And it was kind of that point where, hey, been cruising along thinking about doing this but you got to make a decision and commit to it and, and I'd done some rotations at a hospital in terms of uh, you know working in the ER a little bit in a shadowing program and shadowed through an EMS program and and uh, to be honest with you I just wasn't completely sold on that's what I wanted to do and so this this ag ed thing kept coming back up in my mind and uh, <clears throat> I remember one day I uh, it's only about an hour and a half drive to Stillwater from there and uh, I just I hopped in the pickup. And I drove to Stillwater to Ag Hall and uh, basically met with a uh, uh, counselor in the Ag Ed department. And said, "Hey, I want to enroll and transfer up here." And he uh, looks at my transcript. He goes, "Hmm, interesting." And uh, anyway, long story <laughs> short, they worked with me pretty good, and and I got enrolled and um, got in Ag Ed and really never looked back from that standpoint. Uh, it was interesting because. I was not a great student in college up till that point. I mean, I went from that, that student that was on the bubble of, hey, can I enroll next year? Do I have to take some, you know, other zero-level class or this or that? And, and then I went to OSU and got an ag ed, and it was just something I enjoyed, and all of a sudden I'm a four-point student without any real effort in, in that. And so that's kind of where I discovered probably had made the right decision going down that path. And so... And you student anyway. teach through that program, don't you? Yes, yeah. I was actually ag ed, and then student taught there through OSU. I uh, <coughs> I student taught at a smaller or a pretty small community, uh, Wellston, Oklahoma, and it was kind of one of the deals. I grew up in Northwest Oklahoma, and uh, you know they you don't really get to select where you go. They yeah. kind of select for you, and uh, at that point, I was I mean I had gotten married to my current you know my wife, and she was working full time at UCO at the college. And so uh, in Edmond, and we were living in Edmond, and I'd been commuting that last year while we were married to Stillwater. And so they said, hey, you know, you need somewhere you can drive to, this Wellston. We think that'd be a good option. And to be honest with you, I was like, man, I don't even, I don't know where that is. I've never heard anything good, this and that. So I was a little apprehensive. Uh, but in hindsight, it was awesome. Uh, it just, everything worked out like it's supposed to. 
there's an individual that uh, taught ag there named Marty Colson. And uh, Marty had been there for several years, actually grew up in that community. And uh, he, oh, I just heard the other day he took a job as the principal there. He's not going to teach ag anymore. But longtime ag teacher that was kind of, I didn't know it at the time, but was the vision of what I think a good ag teacher is. He ran a very well-rounded program with kids involved in, in leadership, and he taught class, and he had livestock and all these things. And so it was a great fit and really, you know, helped jumpstart my ag ed career. It's great to kind of, and I was going to ask you immediately after, after that question, if that fired you up, student yeah. teaching for the actual career, and you just answered my question. Yeah. It's, it's awesome when you kind of have a mentor that you go into and, uh, and they just fire you up and they get you passionate about yeah. what you're into. And that, there's no better feeling than that. You're like, okay, I made the right choice. Right. And the fact that that guy's going to be a principal now. I wish my principal, when I was in high school, was a former ag teacher. I well, think. and then this, the, when I was student teaching there, the superintendent, Dwayne Danker, he was a former ag teacher also, and he was a superintendent. So really that is a good aspect to see, you know, people that are highly respected in the profession and how yeah. they kind of manage that. But, And then I, <clears throat> when I went into teaching, um, you know, you – you go student teaching, you get your degree, and then there's, there's ag teaching jobs open. And at that time, there wasn't as many as there is now. You know, now you can pretty well get a get an ag teaching job in most states in whatever area you want if yeah. you just wait a little bit. But at that time, it wasn't quite that much. But there were openings, and I interviewed for a couple and, and was waiting to select one of them. And I ended up, uh, the superintendent at Winoka calls me, and I was just left an interview that I was fixing to take in a really small town. I was probably going to take the job. And uh, he calls and he said, hey, we have an opening out here. And it's about 45 minutes from where I grew up. And he goes, uh, we don't have an application for me. And I said, well, that's because I didn't apply for it. You know, and he goes, well, why not? And I said, well, I said, to be honest with you, I said, that's, you know, one of the top programs in the state. I don't think I know enough to run that deal, you know. And he, uh, he said, well, I want you to come out here and, you know, at least look at it. And so I said, okay, I'll go out. So anyway – that's kind of how it just, uh, I don't know if you call it fate or God's plan or how I ended up there, but anyway, he called, and so I go out, and, uh, I mean, great facilities, new facilities, lots of tradition and everything, and basically I uh, I interviewed there, and uh, they offered me the job, and, and I took it. And one interesting thing I'll tell you about that is that he was kind of an old-school superintendent, and the principal was a coach, too, both of them former coaches, and if if you're in the ag teaching world, sometimes a uh, we don't think of a coach as who we really want to work for. You know, mm -hmm. sometimes their vision of what needs to happen in the school and yours might be a little different. This was quite different from the norm. These guys, uh, I think, saw the need for a, a very good ag program in the community and wanted to see that. But anyway, long story short, uh, he calls me and asks me to come interview for this job. And uh, he, he asked me, he goes, it, what's your wife doing? I said, oh, I don't know. I mean, you know, we're actually headed home. We'll be in the area. She goes, well, bring her along with you. And I said, okay. And I thought, well, that's quite weird, but okay. So anyway, we go out there and, uh, they have a four-year area there, uh, lunchroom and we walk in there and, uh, he, the superintendent principal, they greet me there. And, uh, I told my wife, I said, well, Grace, why don't you just, you know, sit here? And he goes, oh no, bring her in. And so, he uh, proceeded with the interview, me, the, the superintendent, me, the principal, and my wife in this interview. 
And that's uh, not normal. No, I was sitting there thinking, I don't think. I believe <laughs> You're this. like, this isn't real. <laughs> but but his take on it was, hey, uh, an ag teacher, uh, you know, they they put so many hours in in such part of of the school system and the community. You know, their their wife has to be on board with that. Exactly. They're married, so that was his take on it. But anyway, he asked her more questions about me than he asked me about myself, which was kind of an interesting deal. But long story short, it, it couldn't have worked better. Uh, I took over a program that uh, Chris Kellen had been there for several years. Tim Heron had been there before that. I mean, guys that are well known in the profession in Oklahoma as being highly respected, and here I am, a nobody that really for five, six years wasn't involved in 4-H, FFA, livestock of any kind and, and inherit this program. But probably for me, that was a perfect step because I got the opportunity to learn from a good program as the ag teacher, not try to build a program when I probably wasn't ready to do that yet. Well, so exactly, and, worked, I, and I, uh, I assume that they kind of understood that as well. Going into a program – that's kind of already built and you're ready for it. I mean, yeah. that's an easy transition. I don't know. I, it's some, I think maybe they did. Other times I think they just needed a warm body and it worked they might. Out, so. Well, <laughs> a know. good program only needs somebody to sit in a chair yeah. and sign papers and it'll run itself. Yeah. But uh, uh, anyway, I mean, it, it was a great experience that people often ask me, you know, I taught there for six years. I still live in that community today and they uh, say, you know, you think you'll ever teach again? And I, my initial thought is no, but yeah, probably. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I truly enjoyed teaching. I liked working with the people. It's just I had an opportunity to take a, a really good position working for the technology center, still in the ag realm, still in education. My boys were young, you know, and I was trying to build a, a cattle herd and, and start a business. And yeah. so it was, you know, a good timing to do that. And, I, and I'm glad I did. But yeah. I also, you know, I enjoyed teaching ag. I thought I think it was a, a good chapter in my life. So. Well, what a wild journey! Uh, yeah, starting college at to to try to become a nurse. Yeah, you'd kind of been out of the ag deal for a while, and then you end up at one of the best uh, schools in Oklahoma for an ag program. Yeah, yeah. lucky sucker. Yeah, it worked out. <laughs> but let's. Uh, you kind of mentioned this just now, but you earlier in the. Uh, uh, interview. You said that you wear a lot of hats, and I kind of want to get to that. So we're going to talk about your new job, um, okay. which and I say new. I mean, I've been there for eight years. So. Oh, well, it's yeah. not new, folks, but <laughs> it's new for me. I just heard about it. Yeah. Oh, I mean, basically, it's a position that it's it's through the technology center, which would be, I mean, uh, the Votech system in some places we call it the Oklahoma Career Tech, but some people would view it similar to a community college. But basically, it's it's a hands-on trade school type facility and and there's not a lot of adult education positions at it I have one of them and my title is ag business management even though I do various things there that's the thing that I enjoy the most basically I get to work with farmers and ranchers that on financial management how to how to you know do budgets how to plan on their farm what crops can be productive and also financially feasible things like that so you know that's the aspect that keeps me in touch with the, with the ag world, but yet also it's a job that, you know, when I leave there, you know, I'm done until the next yeah. morning when I show back up traditionally on most, you know, most days. And so then that freed up my time to do other things in, well, yeah, the, in that time. Cause as an ag teacher, you're not done when you leave the school, you got plenty of stuff to do yeah. before you go back to school in the morning. And what I, what I thought is, you know, and I was apprehensive to take the job because I enjoyed 
the interaction with the students and helping kids, especially with, with livestock projects and speeches and things like that. But what I, what I found is I, I was apprehensive because I thought, well, it'll take me out of that, that peace and enjoy. But what happened is I actually started helping more families because instead of being tied to that one school, all of a sudden it's like, hey, there's somebody, you know, in the town next to me that, you know, good people, they, they just need somebody to help them a little bit. You know, they needed a little bit of guidance. And for long, you know, their, their cousin needs somebody to help them and this and that. And then, you know, you win a few shows or you just get competitive at least and improve and get some kids in a sale. And, you know, for long, I'm, I'm helping 20 kids at, uh, you know, at the OIE yeah. and uh, we're busier, you know, than I've ever been. So that's kind of how the process started in terms of, you know, starting to buy animals and, yeah. and help those students and whatnot. So working at that uh, company and working with these farmers and ranchers, that's what got, got you into kind of buying livestock? Yeah, well, I mean, I was doing it as an ag teacher for those students already. It just basically freed me up from being committed just to one one school and community to having the ability to do those other and, and had the time time to do that also. So Now, when did you start your cattle herd? No, I mean, I started it when I was teaching ag. Okay. That was kind of always my envision. I wanted to, I wanted a cow-calf operation, stalker operation. And, and I mean, the first year I taught ag, I bought, you know, I, I still remember the two heifers that I bought as, uh, you know, open yearlings and bread and whatnot. And uh, <clears throat> a lot of times they come across people and they tell you, well, unless you, you know, unless your family has land or this or somebody helps you, you know, it's, you can't, you can't be an ag producer. And, and it is a struggle. I'm not going to lie to you, but it is doable. I mean, I started there in, in 2005 with two open heifers and uh, have had the opportunity to rent some ground. We bought a little bit of ground. And so, you know, currently we're running about 500 mama cows and then another head, thousand head of stalkers in the winter and then some summer yearlings. And so it's full, It's turned into a full-blown cattle operation that, uh, you know, if we uh, if we ever get the cows paid for it, will be a will be a pretty nice deal. But anyway, so that really changing positions allowed me to grow that operation and kind of take off with that. Also, yeah, definitely. So, but, Fifteen years. Yeah, that operation has grown exponentially. Yeah. And we do, and I say commercial cow herd. I mean, the majority of it is a commercial herd. We do maintain. There's probably about twenty to thirty head that that uh, we do some embryo transfer work and then also some AI work and, and we raise some show calves and have been, been fortunate to have some of them do pretty good and then started using some of the commercial herd as some recips and things and that's probably more where my passion lies in terms of raising livestock is more on that cattle side of it. So You like cattle more than goats? Oh, I don't know that I'd say more. I, I find it, I enjoy raising them more because kind of like we talked in the first of the interview, I think they resemble... I mean, even though our show steers obviously aren't commercial livestock, it's a little easier to cross over to them than it is, it seems to me, the swine or the goats that are pretty extreme from our commercial. Yeah, that seems to be the uh, cattle seem to be the species that are more uh, balanced between uh, the commercial and I mean, I'm not naive. I realize we've we've made them moderate. Changed them up a little bit. the growth patterns, but... Usually we're only one generation or so, maybe two from, you know, from the commercial herd doing yeah. that or from an animal that could have been in a commercial herd. But you raise some does too. You've got some goats. and We've got a handful of goats, uh, not very many now. At one time we were running, you know, about 20 does is the most we ever had, but we were raising some pretty competitive weathers out yeah. of those. And uh, 
really just got so busy with other stuff. Uh, also own a uh, oil field service company that I started and uh, about eight years ago. And so we got so busy with other things that really I had a guy wanting to buy the whole herd and I took the opportunity to do that. I have a few does that uh, basically students that I've helped with show animals wanted to raise some goats. And so me and them have partnered on some does and they take care of them and I help them, you know, find the bucks to use and we still own some bucks and we lease them out and sell semen and then basically cover those partner does with them and then I help them market them you know after they raise the goats so we, we still do raise a little bit even though we're not actually uh you know have them at our house kidding most of them keeps so, you busy enough oh yeah plenty well there's nothing there's never a lack of something to do I yeah can assure you that, so. no I wanted to ask you because we've talked uh, multiple times in this about you helping kids around I mean at OIE around yep. Oklahoma with goats and cattle and whatnot <coughs> now you've got two boys that are kind of coming up in the industry yeah how do you kind of go about helping families um that are going to be competing against your sons it, it is there a is there a line that's drawn or is it just we're just helping everybody oh i don't know i wouldn't say we're helping everybody i mean and that, and that's i'm not gonna say it's a concern it's something to think about going forward but you know the the majority of the students that I'm helping now truly, I mean, are, are very good family friends. And so it's, it's a atmosphere of, Hey, it doesn't matter which one of those kids does well and competes. It's a win for the group. And so I think there's a balance in there and, and uh, you know, a lot of those kids are getting older and starting to graduate high school and whatnot. And so, uh, you know, eventually probably, you know, maybe my boys will take that role and be more competitive in the in the weather shows, but it hadn't been an issue yet. I don't really know that there's a good answer for that. I, I don't think there is a good answer for that. I just wanted to get your side yep. of it. I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, Kaylee asked me to ask you that because she <laughs> thought it'd be a good question. And I said, I don't think he'll know the answer to that. And she says, no one does. Yeah, that's but, probably why... Uh, that's probably why we have two steers on feet at my house. <laughs> but, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I like the cattle deal. My son wanted to show a steer, and I thought, you know, I, there's nothing wrong with that. There's no use us diving in the weather game when I've, you know, got some of these other kids that are still, you know, highly competitive, and I'm helping do that too. And, that, and that's not to say we won't end up with the weather at a show. You know, yeah. uh, Price, he showed a weather in the fall uh, – you know, and got along really well with that goat and did well. And then we ended up uh, selling it to another family that we've helped for a while, and they, they did extremely well with him too, so nice. it, it worked out. But Yeah, I feel like um, we all have these little groups that we're mm -hmm. in in this industry where it doesn't matter who wins in that group, we're all helping each other. Right. And it, it could be – I mean, there's a lot of dads like you yeah. uh, in those groups that are also – feeding and fitting their livestock but they're also running around to all the other pens in yeah. their crew making sure that they're ready to go yeah. and i commend you for it. i make i commend anybody that can go around and and help families that really need it as well as kind of giving their kids a chance to be competitive part of the answer to that is it's never i mean i'm not I'm not gonna lie to you and tell you that i don't make some money on the goats I oh mean, yeah. obviously that takes place but that's never been the focus of it. I mean, I've had the opportunities luckily to make some money doing some other stuff. And so, you know, I, I can't quit the goat deal cause I enjoy the competitiveness of it. I enjoy being around those, those kids and those families that work at it and trying to help them achieve their goals. So that, that changed a little bit. If I was doing it for a living, you know, it'd probably have to be a little, little bit different attitude towards that. Exactly. 
But I think uh, mentors are very important. Yeah. I mean, that, that kind of goes into what we're saying is, I mean, there needs to be a, a mentor present to kind of get you yeah. going. I read on your uh, website um, for your uh, yeah. goat website, I couldn't find anything about you. you I type in Alan Poe, and all I get is Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah, that's, that's a good deal right there. That's all I get. I'm like, all right, I'm interviewing a poet. But yeah. I, I looked on that website, and it said that you kind of had a mentor that taught you a bunch. It, it, it didn't say a name, but oh, on the really? website it just says, oh, yeah, he was taught he was taught by a mentor. that. Well, I've had a couple of them. And it's funny because you talk about mentors, and probably some of the best mentors don't even know they were a mentor to you. You exactly. know what I mean? But I was fortunate in where I landed when I started teaching that there were people that had ties to that community. And I don't, I mean, I don't mind telling you who they are. I mean, well, I mentioned that uh, Chris Kellen taught there before me, and uh, Chris was very involved in the industry. And, and uh, there were several years when I traveled a lot of miles with him, you know, buying goats and watching him select and various things. So, I mean, I, I would say that's, you know, a mentor. Uh, yeah. Um, there's a couple ag teachers when I started teaching that from the hog world, uh, Tom Lamley and Galen McCune. One of my favorite trips I've ever taken was Tom called and said, hey, uh, we're going up north to buy hogs. Do you want to go? And I'm like, well, uh, I got a lot of stuff going. But, yeah, I'm in. Let me know. <laughs> and, and it was less about buying the hogs and more about learning from people the that trip, I respected yeah. in the industry. And so – and then uh, <clears throat> I had a family that uh, was showing, well, two families showing sheep, and uh, they were friends with Ritson Urban, and Ritson grew up in Winoka where I was teaching, and so, and Ritson had called and said, hey, we're going to buy sheep, you want to you wanna go? And he really, in hindsight, he calls one day, and I don't know him at the time very well, and uh, he says, uh, hey, uh, you got the fuel card to that school suburban? <laughs> and I said, yeah, why? And he goes, well, let's go buy some sheep with it then. And so, you know, and he kind of, you know, and he looked at it a little bit, you know, it kind of appeared like, well, he just wanted to take the school vehicle. Yeah. But once I got to know Ritz and he loved helping people and teaching them about the industry. And so I got to be where I traveled a lot of miles with him, buying sheep and, and just learning about livestock in general and, and how to go about purchasing animals and treating people when you're buying animals and the genetics. And so, you know, I would say all those guys, uh, you know, had an influence uh, on my path to this, to the game. Now, do you think that um, because you've had so many mentors that kind of pushed you into this industry and kind of fired up your passion for it, is that why you went into a mentorship role for all these kids that yeah, you're helping? I don't, it's, I, don't, I mean – Probably because yeah. you've been mentored by all these people. Yeah, You're I like, don't know. I just, I, I think back. more of it goes back to when I was shown in high school and we were willing to work at it. We just didn't know how to, we didn't know what needed to be done. You know, nobody really took our hand and said, hey, you, those hogs, you know, yeah, they're all great, but I mean, they're pretty average burks. You might as well, you know feed a little better one if you're going to spend the time feeding exactly one. nobody nobody did that yeah. you know nobody said hey uh you know you can't feed hogs on dirt anymore you got to get them in somewhere out of the sunlight you know on them white hogs you got to get them on wood chips whatever <laughs> yeah. it might be and that's probably what's drove me as much as anything is seeing those people that want to work at it that just need a little bit of help getting there so. yeah yeah it's it's uh <clears throat> it's pretty wild what people can do what what uh, impact people can have on your life. Yeah, it's pretty nuts. Kind of looking back on what they did, and I mean, I'm 
still kind of a young guy, but I look back on the mentors that I've had and I wouldn't be here without at least three of them. And it's, it's pretty, it's pretty, and like you said, some of them don't even know that they've mentored me. Yeah. Uh, it's just kind of those subtle things that you learn and pick up. Uh, I know you like cattle more than goats, but I want to ask you a goat question because uh, the goat industry has just gone in, on fire the past 25, 30 years, uh, especially down south. Mm-hmm. What do you think was the catalyst for that? That's going to be my first question. What do you think was the catalyst for kind of starting the the weather industry in the south or the boar goat industry? Oh, I mean... I don't know for sure what what got it started. I mean, I think it's just something different. Was yeah. Probably one of the the big things that got it started, and and I think it was a deal initially. You know, a lot of people they may think, well, we want to be competitive showing, and maybe this is we're all starting at the same point. You know, nobody's exactly. got twenty years of experience and relationships built with these breeders and everything. I mean, I I kind of want to think part of that was was the jumping off point to to get it started. Uh, I'll be honest, one of the things I really enjoy about the goat industry, showing weather goats is, you know, showing in general sometimes gets a, a bad rap for being, you know, there's dirtiness in it or, you know, whether that's, uh, you know, feeding feeds that aren't legal or medications or whatever. And I think the goat industry is probably, the show weathers is probably the cleanest one of all four species. I feel like the majority of these shows guys are showing up they're feeding goats good feed they're working them the genetics are similar and it's a fair deal now obviously there's going to be some you know a little bit of hiccup but i think that's one thing that i know some people that have been drawn to it because of that yeah exactly kind of the um the purity of it yeah basically just because it's such a new uh species being involved in the show industry um not a lot of people are trying some crazy stuff. Yeah, and there's some I think trying it. And well, there, there's always going to be a small yeah. percentage in every single yeah. kind of. But sector. I think it's interesting. We've seen people in other species that were highly competitive that thought, "Well, we'll take our tricks and try it out," you know, in that barn, and really haven't got along. Yeah. To a to a level that probably would have been expected, you know, and so that's probably kept some of that down to a little bit of a minimum. So. Now, what do you think is the future for it? Uh, I don't know, you know. I, I mean, it's got to keep growing. Yeah, it's still. I mean, it's it's huge in the south, but we're in the northwest right now in Oregon and Washington, and it's just now starting to kind of get popular yeah. up here. I think we. I don't know a little bit in the south and Oklahoma. I think we've seen a little bit of a peak in the numbers, and or I thought we had a little bit. They seem to be coming back the last year or two, and I think part of that was the price of these competitive ones. It just got so ridiculous. I think it drove some people out of the out of the industry a little bit in general, and and saying you know if they're going to cost that, we might as well feed five or six hogs, you know, and pay that and try to. I know a lot of people said, hell, if we're going to do that, we might as well feed a steer, and and so I think that had a little bit. But when I started doing these next level camps, I mean, and I realized it a little before then, but there is so much of this, uh, you know, untapped area oh, yeah. that these people are just now discovering how, you know, how cool this goat deal is. And, and they're and, passionate. Yeah. And so I think, you know, you, you really look at it as far as, uh, you know, a country standpoint, there's a lot of potential for growth in the deal. Yeah, I agree with you. 
Uh, that's all I kind of had for you. If you have anything to say to uh, young exhibitors or young people, anybody in the industry coming up, this is your time to shine. Yeah. Oh, oh, I, I heard you have a crazy story about uh, a goat named 900. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, I don't know if you want to tell it on here. I was told no, you might but, not want to tell it over here. Oh, no, I don't. It's interesting to be, I mean, and I haven't been in the industry that long, basically started teaching in 2005, but that was kind of the heat of some of the 900 and those genetics. Can you the, explain what the 900 means? Well, it's just a, it's just a name of a buck that yep. was prominent in the weather industry for many years. Very and still, prominent. And still goes back to those, but it, it's interesting because even in that short, uh, you know, 14, 15 years to, to hear some of those individuals talk about the genetics and where, you know, maybe that those genetic pool actually came from and how it was thought about yeah. and whatnot. It's kind of an interesting to know that little bit of history. And a lot of that time when I was first teaching ag, it was one of those, you know, I was only buying a handful of goats, but I was fortunate to be able to travel with some people that were buying really competitive goats. Like at that time I was traveling like with Chris Sun, but also Mike Thompson's a very good friend of mine. Those of you that that know Mike, he's probably the most intense, you know, guy that you've ever been around and, and true livestock evaluator. But anyway, I was traveling with those guys and they were competing at a very high level. And so a lot of times I wasn't involved other than I was just sitting back and listening. So knowing some of that history from being around there and talking to those breeders and whatnot, it's pretty interesting to see the, the really narrow link to the genetics that we use today yeah. and how those came about. So It's wild how you can look back and it's very close. I mean, yeah. especially in the goats. Yes. Especially yes. in the goats, for sure. Goats and sheep. Kind yeah. of. They're, they're very close lineages. <clears throat> I very seldom come across a goat that I'm really interested in that, you know, they give me a generation more than if they give me a lineage more than two generations that I don't know what that genetic was, you yeah. know what I mean? It's a pretty narrow window. So. Yeah, exactly. But that makes it good. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, you know exactly what you're going to get out. Yeah. It makes it, there's good and bad. You're not getting a lot of diversity, but you know what you're going to get it, out of it. But it makes it pretty hard to, to change the industry and advance it much further. Cause I think our genetic pools pretty small, pretty tapped out. I don't know if I'd say tapped out. I think it's just there's not as much variation in it as yeah. a lot of the other industries. So. All right, that's the last question I'm okay. going to ask you. But if cool. you if you want to say anything. No, I'm good. You're good? Yeah. All right, well, I appreciate you, Alan. Thank All you right. again. Cool. And I, uh, I hope to have you on again. All right, take <laughs> care. Bye. Thank you. Time's limited, so you must listen carefully. Well, folks, that is going to be the end of the second installment of the show with Cannon Brown. Uh, some people like to say installment. I like to say sh like episode. It sounds fancier when you say installment, though, right? Yeah, it definitely does. Um, so, yeah, I just want to say thank you to everybody uh, for all the likes and shares on Facebook. I've gotten a lot of followers on Instagram. Follow me at The Show Pod. Um, and then on Facebook, uh, The Show with Cannon Brown, as I said before in my intro. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate you guys sticking it out, listening to the whole thing, um, coming back for more. I've got more for you, all right? I promise. And I want to hear more reviews. I want you guys to kind of tell me what you like, what you don't like, and ways that you think it could be better because we could make this an audience-run podcast. You guys tell me what you want to hear, and I'll get it done for you. That's that's There's there's nothing to me changing this up. You guys tell me what, you, what I want to focus on or what you want me to focus on, and let's do it. All right. That's enough of me talking. Thanks, guys. Love you. Bye.